0: And Welcome to the LeoVerse, everybody. This is episode three of the podcast. Yes, I made it to three. Today I have Khalil on the in the center of my LeoVerse. As I always start these interviews, Khalil, there's two questions I always ask my guests. The first question is, how does the world see you? And so I'm going to give you an example of how I would answer that. Mm -hmm. The world would see me as a very confident, very opinionated person who's not afraid to speak their mind. How do I see myself? Always as a father, husband, recent podcaster, and someone who's trying to make the world a better place. So that's an example of what I'm trying to do. So, Khalil, how does the world see you?
1: So how does the world see me? as funny. That's an interesting question. Other than weird, I've never really been, you know, given thought to how I am perceived by... Um, The outside world. I know people see me as weird. I'm trying to think of what people have shared with me that will give me insight into how I am perceived. I, a lover of music, quiet, introverted. That's, I think that's pretty much all I could think of in regards to how I believe people see me. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a litany of other terms, you know, that people would use, but. As far as I'm um, aware of, those are, you know, that's how people see me.
0: So I want to give the audience a background of how we met. This was 1996, golden age of hip hop, I would say. Would would you not agree with that? I would totally
1: agree with that, sir.
0: Oh, absolutely. You gave me the greatest discovery in life, though. Do you know what that is?
1: That Michigan sucks. No, uh, I say I don't know. <laughs>
0: oh, that was a good snap, man! That was a great snap.
1: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't remember.
0: You gave me the love for black exploitation films. Ah. Uh, you you exposed me to the greatest one ever. Can you guess what what movie that was?
1: Uh, so many. There's the Mac. Uh there's the Mac. Oh, and there's the Mac. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. That would to me that would be the second best one. But it always has to go with the very first one. You use
1: Sweet Sweet Back? Was it Sweet Sweet Back? Is that it? I, can't <laughs> remember.
0: I you know what? That's a good movie, too. Um it it was it was my Rudy Ray Moore.
1: Oh, Dolomite. Okay.
0: Dolomite. My name's Dolomite.
1: Man, see, I shared Eddie so many had... movies with so many people I can't even remember. Keep up.
0: Hey, so, so okay. How did you feel about Eddie Murphy's Dolomite remake?
1: I thought it was very great. Like, I knew for years that Eddie Murphy had a passion for Rudy Ray Moore's films, so for him to actually bring this project to fruition, unfortunately, Rudy Ray Moore, you know, couldn't live to see it, but to, you know, to finally get his flowers while he's alive, but um, I thought it was very tastefully done. You know, it showed the man behind the projects. You know, we see the Dolomite movies. I think Rudy Ray Moore is just this maybe one-dimensional guy. But, you know, there was a lot to his, you know, his drive. He was an entrepreneur. He was a visionary. So, yeah, I thought it was excellently done.
0: Oh, absolutely, man. He definitely – he was definitely a hustler. Yes. But but you know what, though, man? If you got that drive, that vision, you got to go out there and do it, Do your thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just like seeing that um, is great. Uh, so what have you been up to, man?
1: Working at the uh, LOC, a.k.a. the Library of Congress. Reading, pondering, reflecting, wash, rinse, repeat
0: so you you mentioned the uh library of congress loc to be honest i never heard of it referred that way but yeah
1: that's I, internally I, that's what we call it
0: but i work for the government now um i recently got a job with the army and acronyms is government central so i, I get it now um mm-hmm. it is it's sad when you just have a whole did you hear about the bbc on the bb3 on well, the f3r and then you start learning, like, oh, my God, just follow this whole conversation. It's like, I'm now embedded. <laughs>
1: it's like that. So You work um, for the man now. <laughs> how, how is that experience, though? Um, it's been great. It's, you know, working in such a repository of knowledge and being a nerd, you know, it's like heaven. And plus, I'm in, I'm a history buff. And so, you know, when I um, walk through the halls you know, hollowed halls, and just marvel at the architecture, and, you know, I'm very lucky and blessed to, you know, be at the the Library of Congress as a place of employment. So you get to read a lot during work, or? Yeah, yeah, I get to read, you know, on my my downtime, you know.
0: Okay. Have you met anybody famous while working at the Uh, OC?
1: George Clinton dick gregory but i met dick gregory uh you know before i worked there uh her her, her. um i missed out on meeting steven stills he was there from, from crappie stills and ash uh i've been in the same room with billy joel uh but i didn't get to officially meet him uh there's so many people bro that have come through uh and mo- unfortunately most of the uh Public figures that have come through the library while I've been there, I missed uh, getting a chance to meet them. Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson were um, in my building once, but I didn't get a chance to meet them. Samuel Jackson, but yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, and and Bernie Sanders, though so he he's a member, he's not really a celebrity, but yeah.
0: Oh, you know what? You hit one name that I gotta say I would kill to meet Samuel L. Jackson, man. I just love yeah. his films. I think he's. he's just one of the one of our greatest actors
1: and if he curses you out consider it a badge of honor
0: absolutely man absolutely so let's go into your music love i've never met anyone who loves music as much as you let's go back to meeting you in 1996 you had what i'm probably guesstimating five solid full binders of 100 plus CDs. Yeah, now of
1: about 40, I guess. At least about 40, maybe? Yeah. Like, you are
0: a true lover of music. That's something that was given, that passion for music was handed down from your mother, correct?
1: Yes, definitely. It's handed down from my mother. And your mother alone
0: is a... I hope you don't mind me going down this road. Go ahead. But your 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 mother was a Black Panther, correct?
1: She was uh, militant. She wasn't officially a Black Panther, but um, she, every I guess counterculture organization they had in D.C. when she was a Howard, you know, she was mixed up in at some point or another.
0: So. Oh, okay. I apologize.
1: I thought she was. No, you good. You good. good.
0: Black because you know, mean, you're, you're not
1: the first person. You're not the first person who who thought she was a Panther. <laughs> She might as well have been.
0: You did a lot of, the, you know, protesting. Mm-hmm. I guess, how how could we summarize that summer? How how would history call
1: that? Mm. The a summer, summer of, of change. Protest? Yeah, a summer protest, a summer of, of change, a summer of reckoning, a summer of a Uh, accountability. And of course, you know, the work is just starting, you know, like we didn't solve everything, but um, you know, it's just, it just, you know, basically the the kettle came to a boil during that summer. And, you know, it's all the things I experienced just a few days. I was down in front of the white house. It was beautiful. It was chaotic. You know, it was, you know, uh, a mixture of things.
0: So, can you give your account, you know, the protesting, what you saw, what you felt, the voice of the people?
1: I originally attended just as a pseudo photo journalist, just to, you know, do my best to take my pictures, even though I'm still crappy as a photographer. But anyway, I was just there to document and you know being in the fray of it even though you're not participating you know i still felt the you know the effects of the tear gas you know they shot uh, rubber bullets at us whatever but when i was down there the second day i went from being an observer to a participant meaning i wasn't running when they you know were shooting the tear gas and everything you know like there were a large group of people who were there to hold the line you know, like for when the police came marching at, at us with like, with their shields and everything, you know, we didn't engage, like fight them, but you know, we didn't back, we didn't back away either. And so I learned a lot about myself being down there in terms of like, you know, was like, oh, I do have a backbone. So, um, you know, all of us are looking for um, our place in this world. And, um, you know, I don't know, protesting or, you know, civil rights is my calling but you know i felt comfortable and i felt right in those moments down there
0: did you ever discuss this with your mother and like did she show like immense pride for what you're doing and what all the folks were doing like i'm kind of curious as the black former black militant or still black militant mama
1: um I can't remember what my conversation was with my mother. I know she, I think at one point she, you know, expressed a little concern for my safety, you know, of course as mothers are you know, prone to do, she just said, be careful. And then she shared some anecdotes with me about her protesting days. Like my mom was the type who, you know, she and a, a bunch of her, you know, uh, friends would chain themselves to the entrance of a building to keep people from getting in, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, thank goodness for pioneers like that to, you know, still keep the voice, keep the fight. I've never I've never done a protest. Keeping, you know, a positive view for us. um. One quick question, though, pops in my head is the crowd. Was was it weird seeing a mix of faces, cultures,
1: like or. Uh It wasn't weird for me at all because I know, you know, black people have allies, you know, across the spectrum of race. So, you know, there were Asian people, Latino people, um, Indian, white, you know, you name it. Everyone was was down there. So funny uh, aside here. So after the protests and some of the civil unrest in downtown D.C., there was a BLM. You know, Black Lives Matter spray painted on a lot of monuments, government buildings and businesses. And to counter a narrative that was that was in the media, the five days I was down there, not once did I see a black person, believe it or not, spray painting BLM. It was uh predominantly white people. And I think one that one. La, uh, Latino person but yeah I didn't see any black people spray painting BLM on anything so that was interesting
0: and, and it's crazy is you bring up something that's really hit me to my core like and um, on my last podcast I discussed this so the media like him or not Trump brought up a good and fair question about media and its bias
1: mm-hmm
0: you know, media is supposed to be the fourth state. You know, we we have states of you know the government with legislative, executive, and judicial. All supposed to be checks and balances for each other, and the fourth state is supposed to be checks and balances for all of that, mm-hmm. and informing and educating the public of what's going on. Yeah, and recently the Baltimore Sun has sent out a. Article out saying they they feel bad for the racism that they have contributed to society. Mm-hmm. Um, they go into not having black um, journalists, mm-hmm. um, given anti-black, you know, rhetoric, and it's like, all right, you you've you've now admitted that you did wrong, but the damage is always going to be there. Mm-hmm. You can't fix yeah. that damage you caused. And are we still being damaged by the fourth state with fake news? And it, 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 it's, it's sad that I'm, I, I'm probably going to turn off a lot of my listeners with this conversation, but it's sad that we can't trust the fourth state anymore. Of, of, mm-hmm. Yeah. Because what we have <clears throat> Fox News, people just get their news from Fox News. We get people just get their news from MSNBC. God mm-hmm. help us! Some people just get their news from Comedy Central. Mm-hmm. There's no real medium ground, you know, without an agenda. You know, I personally listen to NPR.
1: Yeah, NPR is is good.
0: Um,
1: uh, B- a BBC I like also.
0: I feel like with NPR personally,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, they lean more towards liberals. Mm-hmm. BBC. Uh, I really don't do that too much. Another mm-hmm. person hit uh, put me hit hit me on um, was Al Hajir
1: Yes, uh, yes, I was about to mention that too. It's very uh, un, it's very unfiltered.
0: Correct, and I tell I tell you one more thing that I like about NPR. Sorry for jumping back, mm-hmm. but
1: mm-hmm.
0: NPR tends to do stories that we don't hear most common in the news, mm-hmm. like. I'm a, I'm a big six 630 comes on I'm looking at less and NBC News get yeah. that national news but mm-hmm. how much more of those stories are we missing and then don't get me started on local news like my my grandmother is afraid to leave her house those Yeah, sort of stories and then also those stories contribute to some people who don't look like you or I which are mm-hmm. black people to being scared of people that look like you and i because mm-hmm. how many racial stories do they show um use I, I love i love how youths black youths are thugs mm-hmm. and then like if a news story is white kids doing the same thing those thugs were doing mm. oh mi- misled use
1: so the thing about that is funny because if a white person does it you know it's the exception and not the rule. If a black person does it, it's because of a genetic predisposition.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I just, you know, you know, what sad is, though I play, I play the game with my wife when we hear the news stories
1: mm-hmm.
0: Did a black person or a white person do the crime. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, it's. The stupid and more ridiculous stuff. I'm like, oh, man, that's definitely. And then it's like.
1: And then and then we have cases like the DC sniper that threw everybody for a loop.
0: Man, you know what, though? I would love to document right now in our podcast. Because me and you live. That was affected by this DC sniper. Mm-hmm. Um, I was living at the time in Silver Springs. Mm-hmm.
1: You were in. Um, I was in DC. But like, yeah. hmm.
0: And DC, um, just just give your highlight, like, that DC sniper, and I'll give you mine.
1: So the hysteria was interesting because one of the shootings occurred less than a mile from where I lived. So I know as the weeks went on, fewer and fewer people were standing at my bus stop in the morning. And right before they caught him, I, it was like maybe me and one other person still waiting at the bus stop. Everybody else is, like, catching taxis or finding alternative means to get to their destinations. Also, some of the, um, I guess, the tips and best practices for avoiding getting shot that the newscaster shared with the public was, like, walk in a zigzag pattern, um, duck when you're uh, putting gas in your car. And there were actually some gas stations that put up giant tarps from the uh, part of the gas station that's facing the, the, the roads. So, yeah, it was crazy.
0: I remember exactly what you said. I remember when I went up to because we're we're talking, we're talking back in the day. You know, ATMs paying at the pump wasn't really that big yet. We -hmm. were still actually going to the cashier, Mm -hmm. handing our credit card, say, "Hey, put twenty five on that." That's it. Yeah, I remember ducking and diving, zigzagging, Mm -hmm. being low at the pump, (laughs) (laughs)
1: low
0: as hell in in the car, like, whoo, hoping don't get shot. And then um, it broke my heart when that kid got shot that was going yeah. to school.
1: Yeah, that was crazy.
0: So, yeah, you brought up times of my life that I've never been so fearful in my life. I was going to uh, University of Maryland College Park at the time. and I remember they had campus police in the entrance. I don't know how you're going to deter a sniper having campus police right at the entrance, but they did mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And it was a very open campus that you could easily drive on and drive off at. I just remember the atmosphere. It was like the first time I was one hundred and ten percent felt like I was in a war zone that I could die at any second, and I'm mm-hmm. not a trained soldier. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was a scary moment. We we lived some times, man.
1: Yes, we have
0: Gen Xers. I, I'm surprised our generation doesn't have PTSD well (laughs) (laughs) because you gotta think about it remember in high remember in elementary schools they used to whip out the audio video cart with the tv vcr Mm -hmm. and do the live stream of the uh space shuttle going up
1: Mm -hmm. yep
0: And, and like one of the most vivid things i remember in my life was seeing when that the space shuttle broke off into two different pieces. The rocket district went this way.
1: Are we talking about the Challenger? I know that happened twice. 86 when the Challenger, and then I think in the early 2000s, there was another one that exploded. But yeah, I think, I think you're referring man, to the Challenger. This is us, this is us
0: like... That's oh, right, you talk about
1: elementary school. That's right, you did say elementary school. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Hey, I'm what? Maybe seven, eight years old? Mm-hmm. What, what is going on here? That was one of the most crazy things I think we've seen in our lifetime, man.
1: And then we got countless more. Yeah, we I didn't get to see it live. I, I remember I was in class. The teachers watched it in the teacher's lounge. And then they came back to the classrooms and tried to explain the best they could to second graders, you know, what just happened.
0: Yeah. And I remember we always would stop. Like, in my school, I went to a predominantly white school. They would always bring out those carts. Mm-hmm. And to have us, like, go into the library, you have six or seven classes out there showing it to us. And I was in the library when this happened in elementary school. It just completely blew my mind, man.
1: Yeah, you're looking at it like, I guess at that age, you really don't know, you know, what to make of it. It's like, okay, what's going on here?
0: Absolutely. So (laughs) let's go into your music, man, your love of music. Let's. Uh, T- tell me about it, man. What 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 concerts are you excited for coming up?
1: So right before the pandemic, I was going to go to two shows. Uh, these shows had to be canceled. They were supposed to both take place in 2020. One was Rage Against the Machine, who who I've seen already, and one was Janet, who I've seen twice already. But um, yeah, those were the two shows I was looking forward to before that. So it's funny. The last show I went to, it was in early March 2020, right before everything kind of you know shut shut down. It was an all-star tribute to Garth Brooks, and Garth Garth Brooks was the headliner, and so all the um, opening acts were uh, artists doing, you know, their renditions of their favorite Garth Brooks songs. So Tricia Yearwood, his wife was there, uh, Keith Urban, Chris Chris Stapleton, um, some other folks, but it was an amazing uh, show.
0: Were you the only Black Dot at This Country Affair?
1: I think I saw one other black person. It's funny. So there, I've been to a couple of shows where I was like, me and my mom went to see this psychedelic rock band that she loved when she was in college called Vanilla Fudge. We were the only two black people there. When I went to see uh, Bon Jovi a couple years ago, I saw maybe three other black people in the entire arena. Yeah.
0: I think I think one of the quasi white shows I ever did, because music to me is multicultural, multi-generational. I feel the same as you. But Mm -hmm. one of the major shows that I ever went to that I felt like I was truly the only black dot and was like, man, I'm definitely out of my element, was uh, Jimmy Buffett. Mm,
1: I'd love to see Jimmy Buffett.
0: It was an awesome show,
1: man. Um, Margaritaville.
0: Margaritaville. Um, My my love of Jimmy came from vacationing in Key West with my wife. Mm. We mm-hmm. went there for my honeymoon. Our it was my honeymoon. It was our honeymoon. And, um, like, we go every five years. So we're we're due up soon. Mm-hmm. But uh, anywhere you go, you're just going to get blasted with Jimmy Buffett. When I first got there, I wasn't a fan. Left out of there, huge fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is awesome. Hey, real quick, so what did you think of the Super Bowl halftime show?
1: I enjoyed it immensely. Not only did the artists do a good job, but I'm also looking at the behind-the-scenes people. The director, whoever directed it, did a great job because I was looking at the angles that they were getting, and it was just a major... It was like some like theater to it at one point, like Kendrick's part with like the boxes and just the aerial views. So from a technical standpoint, it was very, very good, even if you don't like rap. Like, you know, the way, you know, somebody said something to me a couple years ago, and I think this is true. Halftime shows look better at night. Because if, you know, if if it's a night game, the lighting, you know, you could do more with the uh, lighting and like the white, you know, buildings that were, you know, built for that. The artists were performing on top of like I could think I just think of how much more great that would have looked against a dark backdrop. But, you know, I loved it. I loved it. I thought everybody did a great job.
0: Okay. So who who do you think did the greatest Super Bowl halftime show? Like ever? Yeah.
1: yeah I think between Michael and uh, Prince, those are my top two.
0: You, you, know, you know, you bring that up. I was trying to lean you towards that one. I, I've heard from so many countless people talk about Purple Rain. In the rain.
1: In the rain, yes. Because they yeah. asked Prince, did he want? They gave him the option to not to not perform because you know it's dangerous Uh or there's a risk you know when you perform uh when it's raining because you know there are artists that have been electrocuted before on stage you know before me during the rain and he's like no I'm going on
0: yeah and, and the man the man was amazing amazing yeah. music all right real quick question favorite mm-hmm. uh, Prince song
1: mm-hmm. it's going to be something that most casual fans wouldn't know, um probably a song called "Lady Cab Driver" came out in eighty two is really funky and it's raunchy and you know it's classic prints.
0: mine is Darla Nikki.
1: that's up there for me. I love darling Nicky uh shout out to uh Tipper Gore, yeah, I love darling Nikki.
0: <laughs> so you, you know you know I'm gonna give you some trauma from my my younger days and mm-hmm. um. I I grew up in a predominantly white um, school Mm -hmm. and I remember kids telling me hip hop wasn't music, Mm -hmm. that my culture wasn't music. And to now see hip hop get, get the, did it, it sort of brought a tear to my eye.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Just wanted to, you know, share that tidbit with you feel like our culture of music is finally be accepted because how many, how many, you know, rock and roll was stolen from us. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't understand the evolution of music, how much yeah. black people have contributed blues started rock and roll.
1: Of course. Mm-hmm.
0: And then Christian hymn- hymnals, you know, yeah, <laughs> music history wow is just so vast for us that people don't understand how much influence black culture has had on america and the world
1: it's funny when i was a senior in high school i did like a 50-page paper on the influence of like mississippi delta blues on like british on the you know on the so-called british invasion of the 60s with you know the beatles and the stones and all that and and zeppelin too and it's crazy how many riffs if not you know phrases or lyrics were liberally borrowed from these Delta Blues uh, performers going back to the 30s. And um, some of them were actually able to, in the 60s, take some of these uh, British rock artists to court and, and win. Because Chuck Berry actually successfully sued the Beatles. There was a line in, Come, in their song, Come Together, that was, I think, lifted from one of Chuck Berry's songs from the 50s.
0: i tell you this, man. If I'm ever on a show and there's a music question, I got a lifeline, <laughs> and I'm sure a ton of people have told you that the
1: answer <laughs> is vanilla ice. There we go.
0: <laughs> vanilla ice story cracks me up that I think about, and it's been in recent history. The story of how Suge Knight
1: mm-hmm.
0: took the copying rights of uh,
1: well, ice <laughs> ice baby, yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, that's just crazy to me. Um
1: how and Vanilla Ice, you know. He, yeah, Vanilla Ice was like, well, you know, he got, you know, all my money, but at least I have my peace of mind. Like, okay.
0: Yeah, hanging outside of a <laughs> <window> <laughs> hotel.
1: <laughs> <Mm-mm-mm>.
0: <laughs> so many great music uh, stories out there, man. I can just imagine them all. So let's get to that second question, man. How do you see yourself?
1: Okay, Doctor Phil, how does how does Khalil see himself? Um, I think I'm nice. You know, I'll leave that to you know my friends or people I've encountered to make the final call on that. Uh, nice, uh, compassionate. I'm an empath. I already said I'm introverted, weird, uh, a loner, thinker. And various other, uh, you know, random terms. What
0: what are you working on right now for yourself? Like what what what's your pet project for yourself right now?
1: My pet project is to be more confident and fearless in terms of like if there was like so a lot of people have quit their jobs to you know start their own business whatever and just to be more. Fearless and confident in myself, in regards to life, um, life, uh, you know, d- d- decisions. So, you know, just strengthening that backbone.
0: Yeah, I, I, I did some self reflection. I think that's one of the greatest things that came from this pandemic. Was gave us time to self reflect. Um, I quit. I personally quit a job that didn't see my value. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people do the great resonation. Um, I was me personally, my story is I was doing an hour long commute to a job that I physically made me sick every time Mm -hmm. I think about it. And only happy days I ever had was payday. Yeah. Yeah. So there, that's no way to live life. And I think that's what a lot of people realizes that's no way to live life and then i kind of want to i'm like i I thought how can i better the community and the world and i thought that i've never heard anyone do a podcast like the one i'm doing now i want to showcase how wonderful people are you are one of the most wonderful people i have ever met and i hold you true Um, high regards as a friend, man. Um, Thank you, brother. And I want to showcase how great you are to the world. And thank you for this time. But we're not done yet, man. I I still want want the world to get to know more of you and your thoughts of things and views of things. And you know what? I, I thought you'd be the first person. So a lot of people heard that defund police. Mm -hmm. Now, I I try to explain to people and tell me if you agree with this. If you talk to 50 black people, you'll get 50 different answers to any question in the world. And Mm -hmm. I hate how people try to sum up a large group of people with just one idea. That's one thing I'm hoping that this podcast can do is break those barriers down. Mm. So to you, what does defund the police look like?
1: Ooh, I'm actually still trying to figure out what that means myself. I know uh, some people have wanted um, some law enforcement funding to be uh, diverted to more efforts that service the communities that they police. Some people want and there, there's there some people on the extreme end that want, and when I say extreme, I don't mean bad because, you know, it's just, you know, just in terms of like some people just want the police departments to be disbanded, period, and want community policing, you know, I guess, to to be a thing. So um, defund the police is something I still am trying to get myself acquainted with so I don't want to misrepresent what it what it is, but you know, I just have a surface knowledge of those efforts
0: if you could help pioneer that vision, what would your vision of
1: defund police look like? Have more people on the police force that are from the communities they are serving? Number one because in a lot of my encounters with police, I can tell, It there are, um, you know, people who are not from the community. In fact, I could tell sometimes by their accents that they're from probably like rural areas somewhere, probably like Merlin, uh, Eastern Shore or Northern Maryland. And you know, there's that's where the disconnect comes because if you are if you didn't grow up around black people or in an urban environment, you know, a lot of times the people that you're policing in the community you're serving, you don't see them as your equals, you don't see them as people. When you look at these young brown. Boys and girls, you don't see your children, you know. So, you know, so it leads to a lot of conflict. I don't know. It's like, I don't even know where to start and how do you reform a lot of these, you know, police departments? Because I know from my personal experience, you know, having having been detained several times, guns, you know, pointed at me, handcuffed on my knees in the middle of the street. You know, it's like, where do we start? So,
0: When was the last time that happened to you?
1: last time i was detained by the police it's been a while it used to happen very often but i haven't been detained in about eight probably seven or eight years
0: and well let me let me give give a vision of to the audience about this Khalil is the most gentle person i've ever met he's never known him to steal anything never known him to break a law you just being black have been detained by dc police correct
1: DC and PG police
0: (laughs) and like there was horror stories when I lived in College Park let's see I went to College Park from about 99 to 2002 of how corrupt that institution is and I'm sure it hasn't changed you live closer to there. Is it still as bad as they were talking then?
1: Um, yeah. Gentrification has done interesting things to the crime patterns in the area. Like, you thought that crime would go down. So the murder rate was going, you know, really low at one point. To one point, we reached like a 30-year low in terms of, you know, murder. Uh, in terms of, you know, the, the murder, murder murders in the area. But then the murder rate is slowly starting to creep up. And violent crime is increasing. Like carjackings, breaking and entering. So yeah.
0: But you know you know what I find amazing is so DC has changed a lot too. Like my, my exposure to DC is going to Chinatown, to the Verizon Center, going to see yeah. Capitals games wizards games driving into there you know i see this still see the the black dc chocolate city that i knew and grew up with watching but when, when you hit that certain street in dc dc cleans up like mm-hmm. oh up yeah and like you being a local dc man how does that make you feel about gentrification? I ah, can't talk to that.
1: Seeing it, do you see positive? Do you see negative? I'm I'm mixed on on it. So when I was growing up in DC in the 80s, we still had burned out buildings from the 68 riots after King was assassinated that they hadn't torn down yet. So we just had corridors in the city with just you know rows of like you know businesses that were shut down, half burned out or demolished buildings. So you don't have as many eyesores, but I could care less about eyesores if the needs of the community aren't being addressed. But, you know, there are some neighborhoods in D.C. that are, there are some some neighborhoods now that are really hot night spots where you have a lot of white college kids hanging out and just 20 or 25 years prior, you know, white people wouldn't be caught dead you know, or some of these neighbors, even a black person, if you weren't from around there, you wouldn't be caught dead in these places. So, you know, it's beautifying the city, but at what cost? Because right now, you know, there's the issue of affordable housing, which, you know, is happening all over the country where gentrification is occurring, where, you know, residents who've been there for generations, people of color primarily are being forced out of their homes or the housing projects that they've lived in for, for generations are being torn down and condos are being built where one bedroom apartments started at 18 or 1900. So, yeah. So DC now It's funny. It's almost 50, 50 in terms of white and black. And psh, the last time DC was like that oof, was maybe the fifties. Cause when I was growing up, DC was like 80 something percent black.
0: I, I always known it as chocolate city. Mm-hmm. Now I go in, it's a, it kind of reminds me of, of that ice cream where you got straw, straw, straw ne- ne- ne-
1: Neapolitan city. It is. Ne- it yeah, definitely is Neapolitan <laughs> city. Yes. Yeah.
0: So it, it's an amazing place to be. I, 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 I've moved to the suburbs, like stick suburbs, like farmland next to me. Mm-hmm. I, I personally couldn't do the metropolitan city anymore. When I was young, that was great. How how has the schools changed in DC? You know, have you seen or heard anything about that? With Uh, certification.
1: I have a lot of charter schools. I unfortunately don't know too much about the subject of schools in the area, other than you know, charter schools are all over the place. I think largely a lot of you know white parents in the school are white parents in the school, white parents in the city are still, you know, sending their kids to private schools in the DMV. Sidwell Friends, like if you're rich in DC your kids go to sit uh sit sit you could sit with friends like um uh the I think the Obama daughters went there and a couple of other uh you know I think uh presidents daughters or kids went there. Uh Georgetown Prep, you know. So yeah, there still isn't much uh integration, I guess I could say, in many DC uh public schools. You know, they're just primarily black and Latino.
0: I I kinda wanna go this route and I want to get perspective from you. Um, a big date that in our American history has occurred was January 6th. Mm -hmm. The, um, the riot on the Capitol. Tell me, what, what did you see? What did you feel like? I remember like I worked for the (coughs) army, got an email saying, if you're in DC, um, just be careful, leave now, or, you know, stuff like that. You and the L, LOC, January 6th sparks up. What what do you see? What do you hear? I want to hear your account for history purposes.
1: Well, it jacked us up because as we work there, the security measures, the extra security measures that were put in place, you know, after that, in terms of how we enter our, our, our work building, um. Uh, luckily, most of the workforce wasn't on site since it happened during the uh, pandemic. But I did have a friend that was on site, and you know, they told first they uh told people to shelter in place who were on site that day, and then they told people to go home. So when library employees exited the building, it was like at the height of you know when people were actually starting to you know uh breach the the capital and my friend was overcome and all the all the other people who were on site that day as soon as they exited the library they were overcome by all the tear gas that was in the um air they couldn't get home i think uh you know no no metro or whatever could get near the area so it was just chaotic and um so i actually went on site a couple of weeks after and the national guard Excuse me. We're using the Library of Congress as a staging ground. So when I walked into my building, there's a huge hall on the left when you first go through the the main entrance. And you just saw a bunch of tables with National Guardsmen just sitting down. Or if you're walking through the hallway, you saw you saw the National Guard just you know walking up and down the hallway. So we had to always you know have our ID pass ID pass on us at all times. So yeah, it was crazy for us. See, I I, I
0: want to. Do this podcast to hear stories like that. This is stories that you never heard the news even think about asking. Mm-hmm. And so, just you know, if anything, I hope this podcast can, you know, tell a part of the story that nobody ever hears about. So, thank you for that. Yes, sir. Oh, anything on your mind, man? Anything you'd like to share?
1: Um, Oh, so I think you might find this interesting. I am going to the courthouse uh, later this afternoon, legally changing my name to Jawan Howard. Um, So, yeah, that's about it. Nothing else going on in my world.
0: Man, did you see? Did you see the uh, see him do that? Like, let's all right. So if if you let the listener, because I'm sorry, this is going to come out two weeks from now this interview. Well, no. Week, week after next, because I already have this week's episode done. And the way I'm stacking these episodes, because I don't know how, how often I'm going to have a guest on this podcast. I'm trying to book as many episodes for I can at least have one drop a week. Understood. Let me tell you something. I've never realized how hard it is to get people to talk or want to talk. Or, like, people just... I guess... Because of the nature of the internet, when I reach out to people, it's like, "Are you trying to scam me?" I'm, like, mm-hmm. no, I'm trying to get you the story out. Yeah. So, Juwan Howard, after a basketball game, gets into an altercation with. This is the Michigan Wisconsin game.
1: Congrats, Badgers!
0: Also, um, for for the fans to know, listeners to know of the Piss Podcast, I'm a super huge. Michigan Wolverines fan, football, basketball. If Wolverines are in it, I'm supporting them. Those are my guys. Jawan Howard had some choice words for the Wisconsin's coach. The Wisconsin's coach put his hands on Jawan, and Jawan reacted like any person who grew up in an urban area. Was that fair to say?
1: Yeah, and allegedly, allegedly, the um... – Badgers assistant coach allegedly said to Jawan, "Suck my."
0: So, what Jawan did was retaliate for that and threw a punch at the guy. I'm not sure if he connected or not.
1: I don't that that part of the story. It, he was so far away, it turned into like kind of a swipe versus a punch, just because of the distance.
0: And it, it, it of course, you know, the kids got involved, or you know what. This is a weird question. I just you just made me think about this. When are are you not to be referred to as a kid anymore?
1: Oh, it's that's all a matter of of like perspective. Like if you're older, if you're much older, you know. Yeah, I'm still... forty
0: three. These these guys are in college. They're mm-hmm. what between eighteen to if they failed a few times, twenty seven. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I like how you caught caught on to that joke at the end. Um so so these players, you know, got involved, also the other assistant coaches breaking it up. It wasn't no melee in the palace with Detroit mm-hmm. and um the, 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 the Pacers or nothing like that. But it got a little hostile. Hey Khalil, I really want to say thank you for this interview you gave. Um just wanted to share the world with you, get some insights from you. You know I'm glad here. I
1: didn't put you to sleep, you know. Like, this podcast may have been a cure for insomnia with me as your guest, but, you know. No, no, I no. It.
0: <laughs> I, I, I wanted this to be a hodgepodge. I, I want to talk to professional people. I want to talk to everyday people. I want to talk. I want to get a sense of community. I, it's, it's a hodgepodge podcast, I like to say. And, mm-hmm. you know, I knew I was going to talk music with you because I know you love music. I love black exploitation. I was going to talk about that with you. Mm -hmm. Um, I just wanted, you know, people to be exposed. Like, we have people that love all types of music, which you are a lover of that. Um, Heck, you went to a country concert and and said you loved it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I just want to expose people to people that they would not meet in their own normal um, circles. And you, you are... Definitely a person that I've never met another you in my life. And I appreciate you, sir.
1: I appreciate you too. I've never met another Leo. (laughs)
0: God help us if there was a second Leo. (laughs) So how i like to finish these interviews is with an exit quote interview. So like, I want, give me something that you want the world to know about, you know, if they like this is cool. This is like so, like, let's say, for example, my ex's quote when I left high school was in an insane world. A sane person must be insane.
1: Hmm. Be if I could if I could only be as profound, um, I don't even think I put an exit quote in my yearbook. It was like, bye. Um, mm, all right. I have to uh, put the cherry on top of this cake um 99 bottles of beer on the wall 99 bottles of beer One down pass it around 98 bottles of beer on the wall hey thank you
0: you. that was awesome man thank you for being on the podcast um send me your information like you know things that people like the things you're working on um Mm -hmm. Know, your Twitter, whatever. Mm. Let's get you out there. Um, okay. Tell your friends, tell your family about the podcast. I'm looking for guests. If you know anybody interested and want to share your stories, send them my way. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you want to be a guest, just hit me up on my website, com. That's leoverse.com. LeoVerse.com, and um, Khalil, thank you so much for this interview, man. And um, I love having you as a friend, man. Thank you so much.
1: And thank you, brother, for inviting me into the LeoVerse. All
0: right, have a good one, my friend. Take care. Good day, everyone. All right, bye bye. Later.